Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 46, The Route. This week, we heard Bob break down the available sector data. After plotting the times and sector data, Bob gave us his hypothesis on Robert and Christian's possible route for the evening in question. We have a lot of your questions to dig into this week, so after a short break, Bob, Janet, and myself will dive into them here on Truth and Justice. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alrighty, thanks everybody for joining us today. As I'm sure Zach mentioned in the intro, we have Janet joining us today via Zoom. Zach and I are both in the room, and we are joined by uh, looks like a hundred or more people on the YouTube live. Thank you guys all for joining us as well. This week's episode, we're going to be talking about the route. Uh, I've got a couple things that I want to talk about up front that I don't think made it into the questions. But before I do that, uh, this was an interesting one for me. Didn't see a lot of feedback from the episode. For me, I th- this was a huge eye-opener for me, but that was because I was going through this process and looking at how all these these calls tracked. Um, Janet, what were what, what did you think as you were listening? How did it, how did it translate to the audio when you were listening to it? Well, I took your advice and looked at the map while you were taking us through it. Um, you were very careful to make sure that you told people to do that, and you sort of touched back on that a few times during the episode, and it was really important. I think trying to listen to it um without that you you sort of i mean you get the sense that you know you have sort you've figured out what is possible with respect to those early calls and there's been so much speculation about where they were what choices they made especially because they didn't necessarily remember some of the choices that didn't matter so there's mm-hmm. a lot of theories out there and it seemed like you were really able to nail down where they were thanks to that sector data so it it's continues to pay off, right? I think so. It, one thing that I was – so I, I guess it, it's, it's a good thing there wasn't a lot of feedback because one thing that I asked listeners to do, and, and our audience is great about doing this stuff, is look at the data, look at the cell coverage, and see if there's another route that I'm missing because I you know, I, I landed on that route. This, listen, there's there's people all the time telling me what they think happened, and what I tried to do with this is ignore – 
literally all of that. Uh, and, and just look at what the sector data shows. Like, where can we track where, where they're moving? Because there was a few things. Like, there's there were a lot of people prior to this that said that they thought that Robert and Christian probably turned on Country Club and went down Cook or or down Monterey or somewhere down there, heading to Sacred Heart. So that was one of the things I looked at and was like, no, like despite the fact that a lot of people believed that, I could prove I could disprove that. It's not possible. Just like kind of the other side, we're like, well, they we think they went down 74. We were I was able to look at this and show definitively that that's not what happened. One of the things and I'm going to get to you in just a second, Zach, um, that, that I want to talk about, too, because there was a question. I don't think it made the follow up, but someone asked me directly on Facebook was they were confused by. And if you're looking at the map, the 653 call uh, where I said that, you know, that call connected to Tower 707 Sector 3. And you can see that that call is slightly outside of the arc there, which you know, I don't think anybody had an issue with that because they're like, well, okay, so, but the question was, well, if, if that can be outside the arc, meaning, you know, the, because there's overlapping coverage and it could catch there, then why couldn't the 713 call have done the same thing? Whereas Highway 74 is outside of the arc that I made, but why couldn't that have caught there as well with the same principle? And and the the thing is that we're talking about two different things with the 653 call up there by that arc. We're just looking at we know there was a call, we know it connected to that sector, and we know where they were going. That's close. That and there is overlapping coverage beyond what I drew in the arcs, as I mentioned. So that's the only place where they could have connected to that tower, and that works. The other call at 713, there are a whole gamut of other issues. One being that, yes, the Highway 74 is outside of the coverage arc I drew, but more importantly, it's outside of the drive test that Gillette did hmm. for Gladiator. He showed conclusively, and multiple different drive tests and multiple different maps, and every single one showed that Sector 1 of 705 does not have any coverage on Tower um, – or excuse me, on Highway 74 – and then also when you look at that map, you'll see that besides that, there are towers and cells that directly cover that. You know, Sector 3 specifically of Tower 745 literally was designed to cover that stretch of Highway 74. It That that antenna points right north on 74. Uh, and also we know from, again, Gillette's drive test that Sector 2 of Tower 705 does also cover. So there's there's two other – towers that cover that area as opposed to up there at 653 where it's just like you're right on that line between two cells they could catch one or the other down at 74 you're looking at the cell in question doesn't touch it and two other cells do so that's how we know but that's again i want to reiterate what i talked about at the beginning of the episode the sequence of the calls more so than anything well not more so than anything because i mean that's pretty definitive already but the sequence of the calls disproves it completely because Tower 523 cannot connect on Highway 74 until you're beyond Tower 745 to the south. And the 713 call doesn't come in until three minutes after that. And even beyond how far that arc could reach over, mm-hmm. that sector of Tower 705 doesn't have the range. It's impossible for it to reach any further than that tower. So the C, the C, so 
at a glance, you could say, well, why is, why can this one be outside the arc and connect, and this one's outside the arc and can't connect? There's a lot more going on down there uh, at the at, at that seven thirteen p.m. phone call. Um, and now, it's, Zach, what did you think? No, I, I really am happy you put this episode together, and I'm the map helped a lot, to be honest, because it's it's a little hard to follow if you're just listening. I did both. I listened to just the audio, uh-huh. and then I listened to it with the map, and the map helped a lot. And I it definitely breaks down a possible route for them. I mean, I you know, there's a ton of little side roads they could have taken, but for the most part, I mean, I think it breaks down a, a very plausible route. Yeah. Uh, and and I think it's good information to move forward on. Yeah. And I, and I think when I looked at it, the only other possible route that I could come up with was if they did in fact turn on Fred Waring towards Sacred Heart Church. Um I didn't put which would give you the same result. It just it's just it's a parallel road just up yeah. up one block. But the reason I don't think they did that is because it just it makes sense to me because they were because you also when you add in what was happening on those phone calls, it makes a lot of so the fact that we know that when they got to when the t- the way the timing works, when they would get to that turn on Highway 74, they were in the middle of a call with Sam Gayer about the about the paintball. I don't think they make the turn on the on the Fred Waring. I think it's more likely that they would just keep driving straight as they figured out what they were going to do, which curved them around to where I showed it. Um, and would that be the, the other thing I want to get up front because Janet said we don't have questions about it is one question that again didn't come up in the follow up necessarily, but people were asking me directly was well this route doesn't jive with Christian saying they drove past Lord Fletcher's. Well, we talked about that last week. Someone did raise that last week and we did talk about it. And I see Montana in the chat has just mentioned, like, does this route match their interviews? And some people were pretty um, sure that Christian was the way that it was being discussed made it seem like that people were pretty clear on what Christian or Robert had said about what their route was and that this was in direct conflict with that. Right. And so, and it's a good question. And, but this kind of comes down to looking at something on paper and then looking at reality. The biggest problem we have is when Robert was interviewed. So Robert, Robert was interviewed the next day. So I would expect Robert to know exactly what happened. The problem is in that interview, they never asked him anything about any route he just said they were headed to Sacred Heart. He found out it was too late, so they decided to just go up to Christian's house. And he never never says that they turned around. He never says where they turned. The, none of that stuff. Christian wasn't interviewed until 10 days later. Still doesn't get specific about the route. Where we hear the stuff about Lord Fletcher's, that comes in four months later. And as I what I mentioned last week was... The Christian was very clearly, like he says, I'm not sure I remember all this stuff. He's very unsure about about where they were at. So first things first is, like I said, I didn't look at this based on what Christian said, what Robert said, what family members said, what Facebook people said, what the state said. I looked at what the sector data is actually showing us. And what I know from that is that they didn't turn around at Lord Fletcher's. It's impossible. It doesn't work. But what I want to do right now is I've loaded onto our soundboard, so hopefully this works, is I want to play for you just a quick clip from that interview where Christian talked about that route. So I'm going to play that for you guys right now. 
want you to listen to it and understand why I'm saying he wasn't saying that's what they did. He was trying to remember and figure out that's what he did. So here is from Christian's interview in January of 2007. Going back to you left his house and going to trip. Do you remember how far down the road you got? Yeah, give me a business or a street that you got near. I'm I'm not really that familiar with like the streets on Highway 11. Maybe we got like to. I'm guessing maybe like that place called like Lord Fletcher's or something. Maybe somewhere around there. Do you know that place on Highway 11? It the one in uh, Rancho Mirage. Is it in Rancho Mirage? I think we maybe got somewhere around there. Okay, so you see what I mean? I wouldn't depend on that for anything at all. I mean, that's my personal opinion. My my opinion is he's trying hard to come up with something. He doesn't even remember what city it's like, which yeah, it was very uncertain. It just sounds like he's just like yeah. Yeah. And I only play that for the because. You know, I just want people to understand when I'm when I'm saying when somebody presents to me, yeah, but Christian says they turned around at Lord Fletcher's and that doesn't fit. And I'm saying I when he did an interview four months later and was trying to figure it out, I'm not I'm not taking that. And whether it was Christian or Javi, whoever it was, I'm not taking that as the actual detailed account of where they were. You just heard for yourself. That's how it came up. He's like, I don't know, maybe. We would have went, I guess, you know, you hear all these qualifiers in there as he's trying to remember. So I don't, that's, I just, I don't, I'm not, I wasn't worried about that. Wasn't worried about anything besides what the sector data actually shows us. Uh, And that's what you see on the map. And again, I'm still inviting people like to go on and show me another route that works. Now, now one of the things I I feel like you explained this in the Patreon to us, but I don't, I, I would like to have it in the episode is you said that. That Mike actually explained this to you. Mike Dowd is actually the one that kind of explained you how to follow the sector data. Is that correct? Yeah. When Mike was Mike was telling me, um, you know, how to the, the seven thirteen call was an easy one because it was unanswered. It was twenty seven seconds, and it would and it and it happened to be connected to a microcell with a very small coverage area. So he's easily able to say, yeah, he had to be here. He had to be east of the intersection to Highway seventy four when that call came in because that's the only place that there's coverage on that tower. Um, but what he said is, you know, if you when you're really trying to track somebody, what you want to do is look at all the calls with the sector data and piece it together and build out a route. And so, yeah, that was Mike was the one that that said that. And then, you know, last week I thought, well, let's let's try to see if we can take this further and piece it together. And of course, I've never done this before, so I was, you know, I wasn't expecting everything to fit together. But he was, Mike was exactly right. When you look at it, it's like, oh yeah. Especially, we're lucky that they made, you know, what one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine phone calls in a twenty-minute drive. That makes it very easy to track them. And so it's like the the six fifty-three call where they hit sector three of seven hundred seven. It's like boom, we know they're moving there, and we know almost precisely where they're at. Six fifty-nine, seven o'clock. You know, they're still in in sector one, but seven uh, the seven hundred one call is a great anchor because the call starts on one sector and ends on the other both of which cover that section of Highway 111, makes perfect sense. We can be really confident that they were right in that general region where they would switch from one to the other there. And then, again, the 705, 706 calls. You know, it's it's everything just tracks all the way down. And it tracks right around past 74 and back to the east where we hit Sector 1. It all tracks. Great. 
Well, do you want to move on and kind of get into some of the questions that we do have uh, that maybe haven't touched on yet? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Well, first of all, this is just something I decided to do separately, um, and it doesn't necessarily have um, that much to do with the episode this week. But I did want to shout out Christina Rupp Cribs, who works uh, for the Georgia Innocence Project for a a post that was not the follow up post, but was just a really great informative post on ineffective assistance of counsel, when it applies, when it doesn't apply, what are the standards to be met? There was a really great conversation going on there. I thought I saw you dip in there. um, And I just thought it was a great post. So if you are interested, but you're not on the Facebook that often, um, I, I think that's a really a really helpful post that we're probably not going to you know go into everything here but it's a great resource yeah if you're it's, it's great she very clearly explains how this information could be used in in habeas and and what pieces would be looked at and what that process would look like it was a it was a great one uh and 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 real quick before we get into other questions i just want to touch on some um responses to what i just said from the from the youtube uh, somebody said well they live there they should know the main roads um, and then somebody said, I can't imagine them driving the long way around 35 minutes ish, uh, when they were about four minutes away from Christians. Well, I don't know what that means. Cause they were, you know, when they found, they weren't anywhere at seven Oh one, when they found out that there was no church, they weren't four minutes from Christians. They were way down one eleven South of country club then. So they were still a solid 25 probably minutes back to Christians that way. Um, as far as knowing the main roads, it's not that they don't know the main roads. This is what I think where people are getting confused. It's the fact that they are the well, Christian specifically, because he's the one that was trying to to route the the map or to to map out the route. It's not that he doesn't know the main roads specifically. It's that he drives around there with Robert all the time, right? And so trying to remember, and again, like. A lot of people are are trying to look at this as well. If they're guilty, they should know this. This was not if, if they're if they're innocent. This was not a significant night for them. They were just driving around. And then as far as the route going all the way around that way, it's easy for us to look at that map and say, "Oh, when they found out here, they should have turned here and here to go back." Like they, you know, the next logical turn would have been to go ahead and turn on Fred Waring and then head north on Monterey. But you got to look at – there wasn't like this documented plan on paper. They left intending to go to the church. They found out there's no church. You can imagine a conversation. Well, what are we going to do now? Christian even says in his interview, he's like, oh, what do you want to do now? And we and we talked about it and figured it out that we would just go back to my dad's house. They're still driving down that road when that conversation's happening, when they figure out what they're going to do. And then they start talking to Sam. So they're on the com- on the phone with Sam following it around. And if they did know the main roads, they'd know that from that point all the way down there at the south end of the valley, the fastest route back would be to pop back up to I-10 and 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 get over to get to Christians. So you you gotta you gotta you can't just look at it as like you're navigating on a map what would be the best way to go. You're just talking about two teenagers that were driving, their plans changed, they tried to figure out what to do, and then they ended up circling around and going back to his dad's house. Which I would just say, like, for me, the desert, um, it does remind me of Tucson, where I'm from. And, you know, if you 
there's a billion different ways to get a billion different places. Like there were just because it's kind of a grid. And then there's also the freeway. And if you don't have a specific reason that you're going somewhere, like if you're just like, I don't know what else to do right now. So let's just go back to your house. Like yeah. you're not really in a hurry to get there. You know what I mean? Because you're sort of like, yeah, I guess we'll just do that. It's just sort of like it's not like, oh, we need to be there at a certain time. So let's make sure we take the fastest route. Yeah. Like they just it's just more evening. aimless than that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, yeah, oh, we're just e- a free around. evening to screw around is all they, yeah. is all they had to do. And I think one of the values in doing what we did in routing this out and finding the timing of those locations is is the fact that they were on a two and a half minute phone call, you know, or like like that's they're not you know they're they're not at that point like what's the route home? They're just talking on the phone and continuing down the road the way I right. see it. Right. Uh, so just in reference very quickly to Christina's great post and talking a little bit about ineffective assistance of counsel, um, just a question related to that. Petra says when you refer to the defense, was there just one defense team or two? So if you can just reclarify that for us. Yeah, I'll clarify this all, all together. So first of all, there was two defense teams. There was there was Jeff Moore was uh, Robert's attorney at the trial, and John Dolan was Christian's attorney at the ter- at the trial. So they had two different attorneys. Those same attorneys, I believe, are the ones that filed their direct appeal after the trial. When I say the defense now, those are not their current attorneys. They both have new post conviction attorneys that are working on their habeas. So because a few people have asked me that, too, it's like, well, how how can the defense claim ineffective assistance of counsel when they're talking about themselves? Different attorneys now. Those the the original trial attorneys are not representing them anymore. Great. Thank you. Uh, Okay, And then let's get into a little bit more about this episode. Kate says, is there a way you could do your own drive test and get access to your own sector data? Is that even possible? There is. I've never done it before. Um, I know some people that um, uh, one particular is a family member of one of the one of the defendants uh, had told me that there's there's actually like apps you could, that you can put on your phone that can show you the towers that you're reaching from where you know from from different locations. Um, and, and I'm hoping that's accurate. I think I think he said he didn't have Verizon at a different different carrier. Um, but I I want to do that because I'm really curious. So you know, at some point I'm going to make another trip there, and I do want to do it because I'm really curious about the 709 and the 710, the 710 calls from Christian. Uh-huh. You know, we don't have locations for those. Well, we only know he connected to Tower 523. We know from Gillette's test drive test that 523 has the certainly has the range to reach there because he showed it making small connections on Highway 74, 12 and a half miles away. So it certainly had the range there, but. I want to. I can. I can see on the map why those two locations make sense for Christian and Robert. The seven hundred nine, seven ten, seven thirteen call. The reason being line of sight at where I marked seven hundred nine and seven ten to Tower five five twenty three. It's kind of. It's not a hole, but it's in kind of a low area, and then the ground kind of goes up and then back down. So that's why there's you know a a good area there, kind of directly between Tower seven hundred five and Tower five twenty three. Where you see 523 doesn't cover, it's because of the the grade that goes up, and there's like mm. golf courses. There's nothing there, just golf mm. courses and, and some houses. Um, but as you go down towards 111 on Cook, the grade goes up, and you get that line of sight. But then the question is, well, then why would Robert connect to Tower 705 Sector One instead of 523 there? One reason is just a different phone, different antenna. Uh, but the other reason I put it there, and I timed it, and that's about the, where he should be. 
But you'll notice where that is at is right where the river passes through and goes under under the road there. Mm-hmm. And if you look on like Google Earth and look at the elevation, that is a that is a low where the river is is a low spot hmm. that does not have a line of sight back to Tower Five Twenty Three because he dips back down, but it does have line of sight back to Tower Seven Hundred Five right there. Hmm. Um, but so on on paper, looking at the map and the topo- topography and all that. Those locations make sense, but I want to just go and see where exactly 523 connects and 7051 uh, connects there on, a, on another trip. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Kathy says, thank you for making that map. The only thing that would have made it better is to have highlighted the route they would have had to take to go to Becky's. And then she also adds, what do you feel is the significance of the phones being off? Does it fit with not wanting to answer Becky's calls or does it make them look more guilty? Uh, two different, so the reason the map is where it's at and I map the route to Becky's house is because there are no connections that show that. And I and but I will do that because I thought about it after the episode that I, I, I want to clearly show why the sequence doesn't work of Christian hitting 523 at 710 and then Christian hitting sector one of 705 at 713. I could, I, I can just show you that if I have further south on the map, but the route to Becky's is just 74 further. You know, you just keep, keep on going south, but they didn't hit any towers that connect to that road. So it wasn't, it was left out. Uh, as far as the phone shutting off, first of all, I want to make clear, I'm not saying that Gillette was right. That the, that that map shows that, their phones must have been shut off. My point was there was something more the defense should have been questioning them about. And in fact, the defense removed that page from the report when they put it in as a tri- as, as a defense exhibit. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, in my opinion, because the state, the state presented, you know, their experts, of course, said you could, and Bowles very directly said that you can't tell from this data if the phones are shut off. Or if they're just out of service. So the state, that's acknowledged through the state's experts, but the narrative the state presented to the jury is that because there was no service and there's no service at Becky's house, the fact that they had no connection is evidence that they were at the crime scene. That was, you know, they, they, they made clear that the other is a possibility they were shut off, but their narrative they presented to that jury was that the fact that the phones had no coverage puts them at the crime scene with their phone shut off. Now you've lost that. You would lose that. If it was confirmed, the phones were shut off. You lose that evidence and you would have to then pivot to what she's asking about, which is 
Well, if they if they shut them off, would it show premeditation? No, I don't. I don't think so. If they were going to do that, they would have shut them off at the house, or they would have shut. You know, after you know, they would have they would have drove back up to Christians, made a call, then shut them. You know, it makes no sense for them to shut them off when they're right near the area. You know, they don't know how sectors work. They wouldn't shut mm-hmm. them off right when they were right in the area where if you didn't have the sector data, it looks like you're driving up the mountain. You know, they, you right. know, someone who's putting that kind of planning into it for premeditation would make sure to either, you know, most likely leave the phone somewhere, you know, would be the smartest thing to do. Leave the phone at Christian's house and then drive up there, do it and come back. So the calls would show he was at Christian's house. Cause also people don't realize this audience does, but in general, people don't realize that you're not going to get location data unless you get a call. It's not like just because your phone was in a place. Mm hmm. They knew, you know, that they can show that you were at that place. So, yeah, I don't, I don't see any evidence that I don't even see how you could make the argument that shutting the phone off right there after that call was a pre was premeditation. Okay. Uh, well, that was a question that that Wes had. He had brought up the the Bowles testimony that you can't determine whether a phone was off or out of service from the cell records. So. You just mentioned you're not saying that Gillette was correct when he said, therefore, this, therefore, they had no. shut their phones I, off. To be clear, yeah. I think he's wrong because, because you know, that map he showed showed Verizon's RF frequencies and where, and I, and there's so many colors and shit on that map. I don't know what the hell it's saying, but it, it reads as though that map shows there is coverage all the way up there to the crime scene. So, therefore, they should have had coverage everywhere and therefore they shut the, you know, they had to have shut their phones off. But his drive test shows that's not true. His drive test shows dead spots all over the place. His drive test shows they couldn't, he couldn't connect any Verizon towers at the crime scene. Uh, and then, and then the locals, most locals, I've had one person tell me all oh, that's bullshit. You can get, you can get signal all the way down I 10 through the valley. But I've had a dozen locals tell me, Driving across through I-10 right there is a dead zone. Like you lose, it's hard to get a signal at all. And when I'm looking at the map, that makes perfect sense because there's a huge area with no towers that that are are made to connect there. So no, I don't I don't think Gillette was right. The 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 point I was I was making was that two things. One, it's something the defense should have questioned him about, and that could be strategic. I'm not saying that was like a like an error. Uh, that that could be ineffective assistance of counsel could be strategic, not wanting to get into that question. Uh, that's fine. But the other reason was because the response to our expert who came on and explained the data, my analysis, Mike's analysis, what everyone says this that this sector data shows, the response I kept getting was that well, you none of that matters. You can only look at the Gladiator report. And so really I was just pointing out, well, if we were going to look at the – if the Gladiator reports the gold standard, it says their phones were shut off. So I want to make clear that was the point I was getting at that I obviously didn't make clear in the episode. No, I mean, look, this stuff is – this stuff can get a little murky and you can do the most amazing job in the world at describing it. But that doesn't always mean that we're going to – like it's going to click. Um, and there's a lot of different stuff floating around uh, about how to interpret that data. Um Alex says, can you talk a little bit about the fact that it looks like James Workman has good cell coverage based on the map? This changes my thoughts on their movements and that it seems they turned the phones off from 730 until that call to voicemail, 
we've just discussed that. So let's pull out the the certainty that they turned their phones off. Um, but do you think they had no cell coverage at the school or that they had turned both phones off completely? Look, this is the whole deal at James Workman is extremely confusing to me because I have had multiple people, some admittedly are, 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 are close to the defendants, but some who aren't, who have told me, oh, there's no service at James Workman. I don't understand, and I'm not, and, and, and I'm not at all saying they're wrong. I'm just, when I'm looking at the map, I don't understand how that's possible. James Workman falls right in the overlap. So first of all, Tower 88 is only a mile away. And it looks like there's nothing between the tower and James Workman, but an open field. And I've been back there. It's just an open field. Mm. And and sectors one and two of Tower 88 both overlap right at James Workman. And then Tower 665 that's on the other side of the highway to the east, That tower that's the tower Christian was connected to from home. So it clearly covers James Workman. So I, 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 I don't – all I can say is I don't know. I mean I've had people just this week saying there's got to be a way to show that there was no coverage of James Workman. And I'm just – I don't – I can't. I, I, I can only look at the map. There's, if that's true, there's some factor that I'm not seeing showing that there – you know why there would be no – why those three sectors that all cover it aren't providing a signal. Yeah, I mean, looking at the map, it, it seems like there should be, but is, is there an elevation change or anything that would be there for some reason? I would have to look at it some more. One thing I thought about, and I don't even know this was a thing in 2006, but around here, a lot of the schools now actually have some, I call them scramblers. I don't know what they are. Um, but when you walk into a lot of schools, your phones go, hmm. because they, so many kids have phones in the schools that they have devices in the schools that cause phones not to work in there. Man, I that seems – I'm not saying it's not, but that seems pretty far-fetched for 2006. Yeah, so I don't know I if agree. that was a thing back in 06. I know it is yeah. now. I've been in – because, mm-hmm. you know, my kids travel around to sport. Our school doesn't, but we travel around to sports, and a lot, you'll walk in, and it's like, whoop. And then the locals from that school said, yeah, they kids are on their phones all day, so they they do something to, to block the signal. I don't think that's a thing in 2006. I don't know. Could be – if the phones were in the car, where they're parked, you know, if they were, if the building was between them and the tower, that's possible. I don't, I don't know. But as far as, you know, going back to, you know, where the, where the phone shut off, my personal theory is that the, I said that Gillette was wrong. What I mean is I think he's wrong that he can conclude that based on that data. My theory is that they shut the phones off. And again, when you look at the route and you look at, try to look practically at what was happening, happening. Becky called them six times during that trip. They ignored every single call. Christian called her once and hung up on her. So it absolutely makes sense to me that they're just like, just shut your phones off, dude. Like, let's just let's just shut it off and go and go hang out. That make that makes sense. That's what makes the most sense to me. Well, it's certainly I will say. As a person who doesn't like conflict i'm speaking for myself as a person who doesn't like conflict if i had made a decision that maybe wasn't the best decision for me or was thinking about doing something that wasn't the best thing for me then a friend sort of pulled me out of it in some way or you know i just didn't end up doing it but i knew someone was going to be upset at me for not doing it i would want to have as little reminder of that as possible (laughs) i would be like i don't 
you know what? Every time that phone rings and it's the person that I'm letting down right now, I don't feel great about that. So I'm going to go ahead and just not be able to get those calls. Like, I'm going to go ahead and turn my phone off. So yeah. that's very relatable to me. That's not proof of anything. And that's fully opinion based. Um, sure. And, but, and, but, and that's but just I, like mine where yeah. I think. And, and and I'll tell you, there's there's members of the family that are like I don't. That's not what happened. They they disagree with me, and that and they could 100 percent be right. I personally, just looking at the data and everything we know, the thing that makes the most sense to me is that Robert didn't want Christian to know that he actually did want to go on that hike. Hmm. That's what make that's what makes the most sense to me when you look at you know they they talk. Christian says they made plans. Then he talks to Becky. Then he calls Christian back, and, he's, and Christian says that he says, oh, I can't. I got to go to church. And he says, well, I'll go to church with you. Then they head to church, and 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 while they're driving, Becky keeps calling, and Robert's – you know, remember, Robert's not the one driving. He could very easily answer those calls, but he's ignoring the calls. And then she calls Christian, and he ignores it. And then, and then right after that, you have the call to Sam Geyer, so they're not talking. And then as soon as he gets off the phone with Sam Geyer, look at the timing – you know, within 30 seconds or a minute of him getting off the phone with Sam Geyer, Christian calls Becky and then hangs up. Like, like to the way – and again, this is speculation, my opinion. Do not take this as fact. But the way it makes sense to me is that, you know, if Robert's just like, ah, she's just bugging us about that phone call, about, about that hike. I just – I don't want to go on that thing, so I'm just, I'm just ignoring her. It makes sense to me that, that Christian would be like – well, then, dude, I'm going to call her and tell her that we're not coming because she's blowing us up. That is, he starts making the call and Robert's like, dude, just hang up. I don't want to we don't want to have that conversation. That's I think that's the most clear you've been with a theory about that Christian call that uh, I've not, I hadn't thought about that. And that totally makes sense to me. But. That's just and again, I, I want to make 100 percent clear because somebody will be like, you're stating stuff that's not. I'm just saying this. My, yeah. that, that's all things taken aside. If I was just looking at this data. And everything that we have, that's what makes the most sense to me. And then it makes sense that they would, you know, that then they'd be like, let's just shut our phones off, dude. No, let's go play video games. And we heard from, I don't remember if it was Sam or somebody we interviewed that, that all, you know, Christian would shut his off phone off a lot of times when they were playing video games anyway, because they wouldn't be disturbed or he would get or mad people when would. people were answering the phone when they were playing video games and would tell or to people. save to the sh- battery. Like there's like yeah. general. And I, but, a, yeah. But, but again, I think they shut him off for exactly what you said, that they were just trying to avoid I mean, you can't argue, you can't honestly argue with the calls that we have that they weren't ignoring her. They 100% were ignoring her. So no, it definitely looks like that. Yeah, it, it, it is that. They're, ignore, they're literally ignoring her calls, right. then making a call, then ignoring another call, then making another call to someone right. else. They were ignoring her. Mm-hmm. So it certainly stands to reason that then they would, you know, shut the phones off so they would she would stop calling. They they wouldn't have to see it anymore. Right. Well, I'm sure there's a theory about why they wouldn't pick up if they were premeditatedly planning on murdering her too. So um who knows? Who knows? But I still just I mean, this keeps getting brought up, but I'm like, I don't what's the motive? Where is the motive? Yeah. If it's premeditated to this point, isn't isn't the state's theory that it was like there was a hike and something went wrong and it just so happened that this happened. Well, the state kind of presented it both ways. They offered a premeditation charge and a non-premeditated charge. The jury didn't convict on premeditated. They did convict on on like crime of passion type yeah. of thing that something went wrong. 
uh, with the I, state. So that's right. I just they keep saying premeditated, but where where's the motive? They're going to drive up there to kill her because of what? Yeah. Why? And why why keep ignoring her calls when you're on your way there? Why is she calling them if she thinks they're coming? But anyway, we'll get back to the questions. Uh, so a lot of questions still around things post phones being off or out of range. Caroline is uh, looking for Robert's location from the sector data from the 1023 call to voicemail. Um, some some frustration from all sides about the fact that we don't know when that text came in about the chapstick. We don't yeah. know when the AMPM uh, stop was. Um, everyone on every side, I think, seems frustrated by that because if we're going yeah. off of the ten thirty ish thing that I think one of the guys says in one of his interviews, then you know, like that that may or may not have anything to do with an alibi, but it's just. It's just really frustrating to not have had that followed up on uh, much, much earlier. Yeah, this this could we could have a much clearer picture had they got the texts from Robert to see when that text came through and, and when it connected or had they gone to the AMP. I'm, I'm with you like that stuff would be. But I will tell you that and I guess this is a good place as any to, to mention this. This week's a weird week um, after I did this episode. I thought like this, this is confusing with the map. And some people were telling me they were confused by the map. Um, so I decided Sunday night to come out to the office and quick build a video, an animated video to show you how all this works to make it clearer. And now it's Wednesday and I've got about 30 hours into building that quick little video uh, and it's still not done. Uh, so this week we're going to have, there will be a main episode but I all my focus has been on finishing up the sector data in video form to better explain it. Uh, so that will come out today when you're listening to this episode. Later on this afternoon on Friday, that video will pub will publish for you to watch. And then the episode for Sunday, I just quite literally I have to throw something together because I've all my time has been eaten up uh, putting this putting the video together. Um, so I, I'm still looking at exactly what it is. I've had some listeners that are kind of on the guilty side of the argument that are, you know, that have said, you know, well, when are you going to, when are you going to talk about the letters that Robert wrote to, or that Christian wrote to his fiance during boot camp? And when are you going to show the pictures of Robert with, you know, bonfires and guns and things like that? And there's another interview with Claire uh, where where she mentioned some stuff that they they find relevant. So I think what I'm going to do is take some of that stuff and put it out Sunday because it also is really hard to like. I know that you know I want you guys to have everything, and I know the people that believe these guys are guilty want that information out there. And some it's of them really, I think already have it. I mean, yeah, they a have lot it. That's of all. references from folks about things that we haven't covered that I think are making. Folks who are following along with you as you unfurl the season, yeah. uh, making them feel like they're they're missing something. Um, so I think that's a great idea. It's really important. Yeah. To, and it's hard to write into an yeah. episode because it's I mean, certainly some people think it's really relevant. I think that this stuff that like the actual data we have that shows where they were at during the murders is more important than what Christian said about the lunch lady at boot camp years later. But. It needs to get out, so it's going to be kind of like the ugly episode. Which here's some here's here's the stuff that people that think they're guilty want you to know about these guys. So I'm going to put some of that out on Sunday. Um, but just know if you feel like that episode was thrown together, it was. 
uh, because and, and I hope that that will be worth it for you when you watch the video, which is at this point is like 15 minutes long, but I'm adding another segment in there. So it'll probably be about 18 minutes long, but it it it, it plays like a podcast with me narrating this stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's an animated video that goes along with it. Very cool. And with that, we're all in, in the video. I go beyond what we covered in this week's episode and also talk about the 520 or the, the 1023 voicemail check call. And there's a pretty, I, I, when I really started looking at it, first I thought, eh, it doesn't really tell us much. Now I, I, now that I've looked at it, it does tell us quite a bit actually. So um, I'll be covering that on, on, in Friday's video. And then Sundays will be, of course, the ugly. Uh, gotcha. The stuff that they want out. Gotcha. Let's circle back for a second to um, this is a great post from Valeria. And I also saw some stuff in the chat much earlier um, in our follow up about this idea of if we found the sector data or some, you know, if anyone found the sector data for Robert's phone, then what else? Right. It leads you to wonder could the sector data have been requested for Christian? And it's also buried somewhere. So that's not even what Valeria is saying, but I just wanted to point that out because that's in the chat. And, and just um, to re- reply to that. Sure. If it is, I can't. I have searched and searched and searched and keywords searched and everything, and I have not found that that right. data. So if it, so so 100% I'm telling you that if, that if it's in there, I have not been able to find it. Gotcha. Valeria says, what, what do you think prompted – law enforcement to request Robert's sector data nearly a year into the investigation before they had the fingerprints or DNA analysis. And do we know for sure that they only requested Robert's? We just talked about that. Is it significant that despite the DNA results a few weeks later, showing that Christian was a contributor to the DNA found on the card, they didn't ask for a sector data? It looks to me like they still didn't consider them as suspects towards the end of 2007, or at least they didn't feel they had enough to arrest them. Yeah. So again, people will say this sounds conspiracy theory. Maybe it is. But in, in my opinion, based on what I see in the notes that were written on the uh, sector data for Robert and the fact that they still didn't even ask for charges to be filed after they got the the DNA and, and well, the fingerprints at that point still showed no that didn't connect to them. But the DNA connected to Christian, um, I think they, my personal opinion is that they knew that this cell phone, the sector data for Robert showed something that didn't fit with their narrative. I think they knew that it showed he passed the scene and probably the stuff that I'm going to get into with the, uh, the, the 1023 voicemail check. I think that they knew at that point that this was a problem. Okay. Well, that, uh, that actually may tie into Christina, uh, same Christina we talked about earlier who made the great um, IAC post in effective assistance of counsel. But um, Christina notes that the case documents posted for the episode include a letter slash memo from Willis to Chris Greer at Verizon. Willis writes that he's making the request for sector data based on a conversation he had with Greer the same day. Are there any further notes or documentation of that conversation, maybe that could help us with the question that Valeria and so many other folks have about motive for pulling it. No, there's not. And um, she followed, I, I think she followed up there asking if we have that actual search warrant that was requested, um, that, that search warrant number and what was said on that. Um, and I did go back and pull that. So what it is, first of all, the search warrant he's referencing is the search warrant that was filed by Bump and Cero on the 28th of September. So 10 days after the murders, Bump and Cero file a search warrant for Robert's cell phone records at that point. Those were the basic records that were used at trial. 
looking through that warrant, I found some interesting things. And and I want to break it down a little further in the episode on uh, on Sunday because I, I just read it right before I came in here when I when I saw that question. But that's the warrant they're referencing. I, I will tell you now, I am I am highly suspicious about all of this cell phone stuff. Hmm. And the closer I look at it, the more suspicious I get about it. Hmm. You know, for example, they already had the cell phone information. Then in 2007. Willis calls Greer, the guy from Verizon, and has a conversation. It's like it reminds me so much of Adnan's case with Urich calling um, the lens crafters about the time card. You know, it's referenced in there. We had a phone conversation. Well, what the hell was said in that phone conversation? Um, yeah, but I don't know what was said in that conversation. But there's a couple interesting things with the warrant that I want to I, I, I want to dive further into and then I'll probably talk about those uh, at the at the beginning of Sunday's episode when I have a, a little clearer picture about it. Okay. Hello, it is Ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Valeria says, did I understand you correctly that you have sector data for Becky? What dates is that for? And could it help us track some of her movements? It's not like Robert's sector data where it's like, this is the sector data. This is how you read the map. This is how the azimuths work. Here's the site list with the with the cell site locations and their azimuths. Um, it's just that in her, I think there's asthmas in her. There was nothing that I found usable, which could be because, because it was, you know, we know she was, she was home. She wasn't using her cell phone at any of the relevant times of the murders. Uh, but it's just like in her phone records, it shows, um, some sector information, which sector she was connected to on it. And I, and I don't remember the. Hers were pulled in September also, September of 2006 when that stuff came in. There wasn't – the only one where there was a second request was for Roberts. With uh, Becky's, they did they did want to request her voicemails and then they weren't able to get that information because her sister Tiffany had shut the accounts down. And once they do that, then Singular I think was her provider, delete, you know, gets rid of all the voicemails so they weren't there. They weren't available anymore. I want to shout out uh, CC on the chat who I think this is a really good point. I would love for you to clarify this and uh, and maybe we can deal with that moving forward. But CC says, can you explain why you keep referring to RSO, Riverside Sheriff's Office, requesting sector data as the state requesting it when there were no charges filed yet? And of course, Riverside Sheriff's Office is not the DA or the prosecutor. Well, the state refers to everyone on the law. The law enforcement agent. So, and I say that because, like, when it comes to, say, Brady violations, mm-hmm. it's considered non-disclosure by the state if there are things that the sheriff's department did that the DA didn't share. So, th- okay. so the DA is responsible for everything that law enforcement did. So that's why I refer to them as the state. They're all like same team. You know, the 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 yeah. investigating agency. And the prosecutors are on the same team and they're responsible for everything. So like it's it's not it's not a an argument against a Brady violation 
for the prosecutor to say, oh, well, yeah, the, the, the investigator did that, but they never gave that to us. That's not an excuse. It doesn't matter. They're considered an arm of the state. I understand that. But I think what I like about that um, post is just it gets a little confusing because we have stuff that the state requested years and years and years and years later as they're building a case. And we have a stuff that was originally requested by the sheriff's department, um, by law enforcement, using those words. So I appreciate the clarification there because it helps us remember who who was working on this when and when and what data they were most interested in. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It, it is. But I also say that when you look at, you know, a good example of the two being tied together was you look when you look at the trial strategy of the prosecution. You know, as I've mentioned in this episode, when you when you look through the, this document, you see that Willis requested it. Willis received it. Willis gave it to his supervisor, Ford who reviewed it and signed off on it. And then Willis copied it and gave it to LeClaire. So all those people from, from the Riverside Sheriff's office touched this document. The, the state then, as, as this person is referring to them, the prosecution puts LeClaire on the stand and acts as though they, this, this data doesn't exist. And then when you read LeClaire's testimony, you see, in my opinion, it's pretty clear that that he, you know, the way I put it in the episode, it seems to me he's in on the whole deception there because they say, did you request sector data? No. Did anyone request the sector data? And he gets a case of the I can't recalls. Like, oh, I don't, I, I, I don't recall. I don't, I, not that I'm a, not that I can remember. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's, it's very obvious when there's a, when, when that report has his name on it, it was given to him. Right. He had it. He had it in his file. It was right. copied in his file and Willis's file. And the state knew that. It's very clear to me the state knew that by the way they asked all the questions. OK. And I appreciate that. I, I also um, that takes us to Wes and some other folks who were talking about, you know, this idea of the analysis by the state or the idea of the analysis by law enforcement before it went into the hands of the prosecutor mm-hmm. um, and that the indication we have, just to clarify once more, we don't see any actual analysis. We just have these very, very strong indicators that you've just pointed out that this data was known to Riverside and the state. Right. Would it be a Brady violation if the there was analysis? And can you request that based on the notes and this indication that this this data was looked at and was was known about, but there is no actual analysis or notes in this in the discovery file. I mean, that seems like a really huge burden to try to prove that they did that, though. Well, guess I mean, what? I, 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 that's I, the problem with Brady, my friend. That's yeah. the problem with Brady. Because He's you're like, trying to find I bet something you that was did hidden. This, and they're like, well, we didn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then it's like, oh, shit. You're trying to find something that was hidden from the people who would have done the hiding. Right. To to find yeah, that seems like way too big of a burden for that to actually be a Brady. Yeah, we have no proof of that. I, it's just my opinion that I, it, that it, everything seems to point to me that they probably t- – because, again, th- once we got into this and, and learned how to read the data, it, this wasn't complicated to figure out at all. As I said last week, all Mike did was point out, which, which now you know, going on 10 experts, I think, that I've talked to uh, that work in this field have all confirmed the same thing. Yeah, it's an incoming call. You can only look at the final cell face for 
for the location. And then you can look at all the coverage maps and show, oh, yeah, it, it doesn't cover 74. They couldn't have been on 74. It's that simple. The only thing that's confusing to me is if the state had it and processed it and knows what happened, why didn't they present a different theory using it? The state? Yeah. Uh, I think that has to do with the 1023 call. Um, but 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 again, they couldn't. They have to present evidence, right? Mm-hmm. So by the sector data, because there's some people in the chat going, this doesn't prove anything. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't prove their innocence at this point from what we've covered, from what we've covered now. Um, but they, ha- they could, with only the limited evidence, with the short form data, they were able to suggest, you know, even like to Bowles, like, well, he connected to Tower 745 on this call. So could that mean that he was headed towards Becky's? Yes, right? So mm-hmm. so they were able – now, if they had this full sector data and experts came up and said, well, they, they, try, they continued past Highway 74 before they made this call. They were headed east away from the crime scene. You and I can say, well, yeah, but they could have then turned around and then went. Mm-hmm. But at, at court, you have to present some kind of evidence that happened, and they don't have any. Okay. So they – right? So, I mean, if they have yeah. the sector data, they show they missed the turn. They were heading away from the crime scene. And then the next call where they have a tower connection is all the way up at the north end of the valley up by Christian's house. None of that is evidence to even suggest they went to the crime scene. Now, I'm not saying – that that proves their innocence because, like you said, they could have could they have turned around? Yeah. Is there any evidence they did? No. There is no evidence suggesting that they went to the crime scene. The only way they could present that argument is if they didn't have the sector data. Then they could present it as a possibility. And as far as like proving or disproving anything, as I mentioned last week, what we're looking at right now for you know, as far as a court case goes in, in habeas. They just have to prove that they didn't get a fair trial. They're not, this, this, this wouldn't be something where it would be like, oh, they're exonerated on actual innocence. It would be the state presented to the jury a theory that was impossible, mm-hmm. and they were able to do that because the defense didn't know that the, that the, the evidence that disproves it was in their file the whole time. Mm-hmm. And so the jury heard this. And one thing that Christina mentioned in her post about the ineffective assistance of counsel claim, they don't even have to prove that the jury would have acquitted. All they have to, pr- to, to prove or convince a judge is that at least one reasonable juror may have changed their vote, which would have resulted in a mistrial, right? Even, okay. even, even if one does. And she pointed out the fact that the deliberations for this case were 10 days long would be very helpful for the defense because the, so the judge will know going in, this wasn't a clear cut, easy decision for the jury. It took 10 days to get everybody on board. So what are the odds if they could, if, if the defense was able to show that they were heading away from the crime scene and they couldn't have been driving towards the crime scene when the state said they could have been, could that have changed the mind of one juror? And that so that that ten days could come into effect, but as we know, it, you know, judges are going to who knows what a judge is going to rule on. Personally, I think if anything is right in this world, these guys, based on this information, should be ordered a new trial. They should be able to be tried. Whether you think they're innocent or guilty, 
they should be able to be tried in front of a jury of their peers with the actual evidence and what it shows and then let the jury decide. Mm-hmm. Well, let's I just want to touch on um, folks who understandably kind of keep circling back to this idea of other suspects and feeling like it's very difficult to help people in prison if there aren't really viable other suspects. I I guess my I feel like you're probably going to say we're still just not there um, in terms of what you're putting yeah. your focus on. Um, is that fair? Yeah, because right now what we're working on is the case against Robert and Christian. And as I said, like our process, we always when we're in this part of the process, we're looking at everything the state had against them. That's why we're going to put out even though, by the way, the stuff I'm going to be talking about on Sunday wasn't used at trial um, because it's it's I, I presume because it's irrelevant um, as far as like legally irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're and, and 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 my process is and this is a perfect example of it is we take the state's case against the defendant and we put a microscope on it. And I've always maintained if they got the right person or people, when you put a microscope on the state's evidence, it will get stronger. And what we're finding is exactly what I suspected when we started this case, that the closer you look, the more the state's case starts to crumble and fall apart. It was already circumstantial and it's becoming far more circumstantial at this point. Yeah, I think I think what's um, uncomfortable for some folks and I completely get it is that, you know, putting it that way is one thing. But but the idea that people are being dishonest on the state side, the people, the idea that LeClaire is lying when he says he doesn't remember if the sector data was pulled versus well, let's be clear, just we not don't remembering. Know, yeah, let's be clear. We don't know that he was lying. Yeah, no, for sure. And I'm yeah, just yeah. saying, like, I think that's a sticking point for folks. And I completely understand that is just, you know, some people are willing to say, well, someone could make a mistake, X, Y, Z. But that's a different scenario than there is the sort of willful conspiracy. And so I'm not saying you need to answer that. I'm just saying I'm acknowledging that there are different levels of that in terms of like what people are comfortable with, with believing or comfortable with speculating about. And that and that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it, it does. And it'll be for a judge to decide. I personally think, despite, you know, the, the the guilty side thinks this is nonsense. I mean, I've heard, seen a bunch of people from that side that are like, oh, pff, this won't help them at all. You know, I'll take the word of the actual post-conviction attorney over yours. Um, but I think it will be it will be it, it will be very difficult for the prosecution to convince the judge that they didn't know that they had this evidence. And and someone in the chat just said, you know, a few minutes ago said, yeah, but how do you know the defense didn't have it and have it analyzed and came to a different conclusion? First of all, what I've found through these weeks is no one would have come to a different conclusion. No expert has, has or has even suggested a different conclusion, first of all. And secondly, as Christina also addressed in her post, that would – for the for the defense to agree to that stipulation, had they already done that, they would that that is a, a direct ethics violation, and they're just not going to risk. Not for any one case are they going to risk that. Now, is it possible? I mean, I guess yes, but also those same attorneys filed their direct appeal 
in the direct appeal, one of one of the elements of their direct appeal by the, those attorneys was that the state never requested the sector data. So like they are completely like and and really really pushing the envelope not only with as I mentioned in the episode by asking Leclerc if anyone requested the sector data which is a dangerous question if you know it exists and if you think it hurts your case they wouldn't have done that and then also then coming and filing a direct appeal going after the state for not getting that evidence if mm-hmm. they knew it like there is way more evidence suggesting that all the evidence suggests that the defense didn't know it was there. The only thing you can do to try to suggest that was is just pure speculation out of bias to say, well, I want them to have known uh, because it, I, I don't want to believe that it was only the state that was hiding this. Even though you see the analysis and you heard it from an expert that it hurts right. the state, it doesn't hurt the defense. This does not prove innocence for me by looking at this. But what it does is it doesn't prove it. It doesn't prove they're on their path there either. And I've yet to see anything that really is that smoking gun that shows they're guilty. And it, that's really been hard for me. Now, I'm not going to go out and say that I believe they're 100% innocent because I, I don't know yet. But I, I have a very hard time because I have yet to see a single thing that, that says they're guilty. Yeah, and that's fair, especially with what's been covered now. That's 100% fair. And, and kind of what I get back to is like, well, look at this. If we're like presenting this, what we actually know, what should have been presented to the jury, you're going to have to present some evidence that they ever left that valley. Yeah. And what we know now is there is no evidence that they left. And I'm going to say that again. I'm not, and I'm not saying they didn't. What I'm saying is there is zero evidence that Robert and Christian ever left that valley. The only way that you can that you can say they left the valley is pure one hundred percent speculation by saying I think they turned around. There's no evidence they turned around. It's strictly speculation. There is no evidence they ever left the valley. Okay, um, I just want to shout out Vanessa because I think Vanessa it was you last week too. But if it wasn't, someone else feels just like you do. Um, and I know that because it's a little bit of a moving target and Bob has a ton of information, has to kind of, I'm not going to say pull that thread because he just annihilated that <laughs> metaphor. I'm so I never want to hear anyone say pull the thread again. And I have Bob Ruff to thank for that. But she did say, uh, Vanessa did say, I thought we were going to hear Javier's testimony. And it's true that weeks ago, that was the direction that we were headed. And and you were excited about it because you felt like that also was indicative of kind of the manipulation, the potential manipulation of the facts or manipulation of memories or what have you. Um, and so I just wanted to shout you out because I, too, uh, am, am interested in, you know, non-sector data stuff. But. I also understand that this is important. To me, this is the most important thing we've covered yet. It's the first substantial, you know, so like what what was the state's case built on? A planned hike. Robert and Christian say they never went. The state's trying to say they did, right? So that's thing one. The business card, that's super ambiguous as we know. Yes, I, I, you know, I I agree. That's, That's a point for the state that there's a business card with Christian's DNA on it up at the crime scene. But again, when you put a microscope on that, you've got the fact that it was found in a place that it shouldn't have ever been based on the track. You've got all the problems with the track itself. You've got the hole at the end of the track and you've got the state's experts saying that the DNA is degraded as though it had been out in the weather for a year. 
So that's ambig. Even though it's a point for the state, it's it's ambiguous. And then you had this, where the where the state what was a point in the state's favor was the cell phone evidence seems to show that they were headed towards the crime scene. And and so that's huge. This is one of the main stanchions of the state's case is that the cell phone evidence showed they could have been, or most likely the way they presented it, headed to the crime scene. And now we know it shows they were headed away from the crime scene. Uh, but w- with that said, we're done with it after this week. I'm putting the video out and then we're moving on getting back to the rest of the case against Robert and Christian. Okay. Well, that is all I have. There were some other uh, great questions, but I think we've pushed in over an hour and there was a lot to cover. So shout out to anybody who I didn't get to, but um, a lot to chew on from this episode. Yep, that is. And I think it's a good place to stop. Um, So again, for for this week, everybody, uh, today, this afternoon, I think I'm going to, my goal is to have it up and published by today, Friday, at 2 p.m. Eastern time. So if you go to our YouTube channel, the Truth and Justice YouTube channel, the video version of episode 46 will be up there. Um, it'll be 15 to 18 minutes. And I think it is it explains all of this much clearer uh, and makes it easier to digest. And also I break down the 1023 voicemail call and beyond. So because that's that's the big thing that we're looking at. I want you to know as you go into that, you've got two ends of the cell phone evidence, right? The first half of it was, were the guys headed towards the crime scene? We've shown that they weren't at 7.13 PM. And then it's just, it's just unknown, right? And then you have 10.23 PM where the state says that that's when they came back from the murders and turned the phones back on and connected. So that's an important one too. And of course, again, there's another one that's that ambiguity doesn't even begin to describe that, that, you know, at maximum they had, they had to make that drive in 38 minutes. Bodmer was able to and present to the jury a trial. They did it in exact, he did it in exactly 38 minutes. I think this video is going to show you that that should also be thrown out. So that said, check out the video on Friday, Sunday, there'll be an episode that is going to be um, some of the, some of the uglier stuff around uh, Robert and Christian. Cause we just need to get it out there and I don't know where else to put it. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks everybody. Thank you guys. All right. Thanks everybody. See you next week. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. 
For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truth and justice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. For all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. I I had to close it out because I couldn't. I was just like, I can't. I can't even process it. It was it was a busy one today. There was just too much to even. All by myself. Just all by myself again. Lots of loneliness. Lonely, lonely times in the studio. Howdy. This is really lagging. Guys, let me know how my my volume is because I can make some adjustments here. Yeah, me too. Tell me that I'm better sounding than can Bob. Can you hear me? Okay, because we did some stuff. I'm kind of an idiot. A little bit. Oh, yeah. Let's get that nude photo up there. I don't want to put a nude photo up there. That's weird. You, you send them to me anyways. That's weird. Yeah. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Why am I the only person saying? Well, I wanted Zach to say th- to say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye, Zach. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Kelly, uh, clean that up to just say thank you, guys, so it doesn't sound like we're idiots. Uh, and then I'll finish with this. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Whose is the tea? Oh, that's for me. Thanks. And the fish fingers. Me, please. Over here, you two. Lift. Dobby's restaurants have great deals on lots of tasty products. That's it. Mind your bags, please. Uh, Making them feel even greater. Left a bit careful of that. So kids' meals feel larger than dining tables. Set it down gently, gently. Whoa! Find great value every day in store, like Kids Eat Free. After all, spring's a big deal at Dobby's Garden Centres. Anything else? Have you got a bigger fork?